What event comes once a year and could change how you see the world around you? The answer? When your vision benefits renew. And now that they have, there's no better time to visit your neighborhood Pearl Vision, where they'll cover your out-of-pocket cost or insurance copay for your eye exam. Schedule your family's eye exams at pearlvision.com. Valid prescription required. Valid at participating locations. Restrictions apply. Taxes extra. See store for details. Ends 4-30-2022. Exams available at the Independent Doctors of Optometry at or next to Pearl Vision. Some doctors employed by Pearl Vision. basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. We've got a special bonus show for you this week. As Dan and Vinny prepare to head off to Columbia, we wanted to chat through how the guys are feeling, where they're at with planning and also answer some of your questions as well. And very glad to say Ashley Cowie, organiser, curator, general head of the whole trip has joined us for this one again as well. Ashley, how are we? I'm really good, thanks. Really excited to be talking to you about all this. Yes, the, the days are they're ticking by now, aren't they? And obviously, I'm not going myself, but uh, I'm sending the next best thing. Uh, Vinny, you're going, aren't you? So you're looking forward to it? <laughs> yes, I cannot wait. I've just been counting down the days for a long time now, and it's, it's this close. It's very close. And Dan, you've been doing your last-minute shopping. Yeah, um, you know, Vinny has graciously let me carry his bags for the trip, so I'm, I'm going along just to kind of be his caddy and moral support, just part of the hype crew. Um, I, I'm almost ready. Um, you know, some some of the COVID restrictions have, will be relaxed by the time we get back, so it's actually simpler than we prepared for. So it's good that we kind of have the, you know, the plan B in, in place with that. Um, but yeah, just, just uh, swimming trunks now. <laughs> most most people listening to this will have no doubt heard our interview with Ash Kiwi, part one and part two, where we discussed phenomenology. Um, Ash stays out in Colombia and the documentary, what it's about, the light phenomena going on there. If you haven't, definitely go and check that out after this interview. This is a chance for the, the gents to discuss the preparations for the trip, how things are looking now over in Colombia, how Vinny and Dan are getting on and preparing for it as well. And you know what? So many of you donated when when Dan put up the the GoFundMe to make sure he could get out there because he wasn't going to be able to without that help. And it was a phenomenal response, um, no pun intended. So, yeah, it's a chance for those of you who have donated to to feel a little bit more involved with the trip as well. And like we've said, uh, during the trip, Dan's going to be creating as much content as he can. Not to spoil anything that's getting recorded and filmed, but to kind of keep a keep abreast of the situation and, and what's happening out there. But Dan, let's kick off with a quick kind of thanks again to to the folks who donated and made this possible. Eh? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we we finished the fundraising over Christmas for the charities and it was an amazing feeling to kind of be able to give that much. And then this opportunity came up and we thought, you know, why not? Let, let's ask and see if we can make this a reality. And everyone's been so kind with with their support that it, it just feels like we're carrying a lot of positivity with this trip. And and I'm very, uh, you know, humbled and blessed to be able to go and, and do this kind of, you know, there, there were a few messages through the GoFundMe where people were kind of saying that <clears throat> for health reasons, they wouldn't be able to do something like this. Um, and they were really glad that they were able to get the opportunity to support, uh, you, you know, us guys going to do it. So it was really nice, very encouraging. So thank you to everybody who who put anything in. I, I really appreciate it. 
and I think that's the beauty of the project as well. It's a it's a grassroots project. Not to talk down about what the quality is going to be like, obviously, but it's it's by people who are passionate about the subject, who who want to make something that's not out there to make tens of thousands of dollars and you know if everyone makes money and gets famous fantastic isn't that always the way but it's there to really explore a genuine phenomena that's happening in very close proximity to where ash stays um and ash let's let's kick off then the conversation from your end how are things looking because you're you're in quite close proximity aren't you to the area we live in front of it as you know we're 2.36 miles from the mountaintop that features in the documentary and but I'm going to start the same as you by saying thank you to everybody that helped get Dan here and fund that because since we've told people that Dan are coming, you know, we've had a direct someone from London who's going to come directly, directly as a result of wanting to meet Dan there. And we have a fellow from New York, a girl from New York who's coming, and it's the same thing with wanting to meet Vinny. Now, here's the thing. We had... 70 applications in the last three weeks since we put this out. People who've actually said, I want to know the costs, I want to know the dates, I really want to come. However, when you filtered that all down, it went out to hundreds of thousands of people, that many applied. And now we've got you two, and we have another six participants, including then this whole surrounding field of Colombians that are going to be built in, the landowners, the people that are going to be looking after us. So a thank you to everybody that sort of made that happen and take it up a level from an idea on my shelf to something that was really well known. And you too, Andy, and that goes to, you know, everybody in this thing. It was a sort of, it's a, a square of four parts, you know, you can see us on the screen there, but between us all, we made this thing actually become a reality with two weeks to go before it all starts and happens, which I'd love to inform you about and tell you about, but do you want to know anything specific so far? Absolutely, yeah. Can can I just jump in and ask because you know, Andy, you said they're about quality, and mm-hmm. you know, in some conversations we we were speaking about, you know, are we are we shooting this in you know four sixty p. What what are we going to do? Um, but yeah, I'll hand over to Ash just to kind of give an idea of what to expect in terms of what the footage is going to look like. We we've, we've got this decision made, right? We actually sent out. We're going to be calling the this theme or the arc throughout the whole show it's going to have this edit piece and it's going to be called the mcgrillin and the reason is because where people expect music i might even break the fourth wall turn around to the screen and almost where is it so here's the thing we can announce now we're filming in 4k it's all going to be filmed in 4k eat the drone shots all of the cutaway shots everything is so the actual quality of the filming is going to be great the cameras will do their job and then the edit's kind of down to me. That's where you can make it or break it, right? Depending on what worked and what didn't and what you can use. But, you know, we're aiming to make it the best quality thing we've done within the budget constraints that we've got. And we're talking about myself and my wife doing almost everything as far as production's concerned. Not on the week. On the week, we have this a big expanded team. But the actual production that determines the quality, that's, that's the real bit of pressure I'm under. I have no doubts that everybody that's coming is going to make amazing visual, just TV. Let's call it TV, although it will be online most probably. It's the it's the rendering of that and the, the holding back. You know, this less is always more is something I live by. And if we can hold back the resistance to put in the big bombastic music when somebody sees a torch flashing because a bike past the gate, if we can resist talking about... If we can resist conspiracy, because it's prevalent, right? It's all around us here. I've got to tell you this story. This is something that's happened as an update. Myself and Natty, one and two, went to the this farm mansion that we're staying in. It's really incredible. 130 years old. It's in an estate on its own with a church above it that looks directly over at the mountain. Clear view. Three miles exactly. We met the estate keeper. His name was Angelo. And when we were in the garden and he was showing us this platform where we can set the cameras and the telescope and everything up at night, I asked Angelo in my horrendous Spanish if he had seen the lights on the mountain. And he just started rattling and he lost me. I just lost it. And I asked Natty after it, what did Angelo say? And she said, 
she's a, he's a little bit annoyed because you, like everybody else, keeps talking about the lights. And Angelo said, there's two types of things that get seen up on that mountain. He goes, yep, there's the light phenomenon right there. But he goes, then there's the UFOs. He goes, they communicate different. They happen at different times. And I would just stood there and shook my head and thought, here we go. Every part of the people surrounding this production are convinced they're seeing UFOs at this legendary UFO hotspot. So what that means is our soil is fertile. We have got true phenomenology to explore. Let me talk about that just a little. Not about the show, but about the word. The word phenomenology itself. Well, you know... um, of course, I'm using it for the document, but it actually represents 20th century movement. A German scientist, a mathematician, Edmund, um, Edmund Husserl, he founded a movement, a scientific movement that was greatly based on non-Cartesian dynamics. And what I mean by that is he was more focused in the, ex- the conscious experience of a phenomenon experienced by someone so the actual conscious experience of the phenomenon rather than the cartesian this object connects with this object and results in this so we're going to be greatly focused on the experience that people have with this phenomenon and what i mean then by fertile soil is everybody around it has an experience of the phenomenon so we're going to get the first section of big data from a lot of people all looking at the same phenomenon. So it's pretty exciting, you know? Even Angelo, he has his UFOs. Now, you you mentioned you've got the the team coming over from, or you've got people travelling from now New York. Mm-hmm. You've got Wales, you know, England, all over, all, all over the planet. The Colombian team, though, they're obviously mm-hmm. there already. What sort of expertise, other than that passion and experience, are they bringing to the production as well? Right, this is great. Um, we have a guy from Medellin who owns an aerospace company. He's an aeronautical engineer, and he builds drones for the Colombian-American military and tests them himself. He's coming over so we can fly drones, big ones, at long distance. We're going to photograph them and video them at night with thermal cameras, the normal cameras, with restrictions that are in place by you know, iPhone cameras. And what we can do then is experiment and see which of these phenomenon are UAVs, military vehicles, military craft, and which aren't. But to know that, you've got to know what such a thing would look like. And I think it's great too, because think about this one. This is, I was, I had quite something to say a few months ago on the, I think it was called the duck UFO. And I always thought it was a shame that nobody at that time, including myself, that was sceptical to that, ever produced a camera on a drone actually filming another drone with a FLIR-1. So we're going to do that. We're going to actually film a large metre-by-a-metre drone with another drone equipped with FLIR so we can see what drones look like under FLIR conditions. That's really cool. So that's what the Colombians bring into the project. In one instance, got another one. We've got this really eminent professor an ex-statesman. His grandfather was an Archbishop of Columbia. He's a writer, he's a poet. He's coming along because he's really into um, Victorian phenomenology, everything from mediumship and witchcraft, which was huge in Colombia um, back in the 1940s and the 60s. So this old professor is going to tell us about how people in Tabio, the village, interpreted these light phenomenon 80 years ago. 70 years ago. So that's another great investment. We're getting stories, the phenomenon, the experiences from people that are going right back, you know. So that's another great thing. And we also have Natty Doss, like we call her. She's a production assistant on the show. Natty's going to present us with what I regard as the sharpest, highest definition video of a UAP that's not all the endings one's ever seen, but just that it's actually what it claims to be. It's sharp, it's unidentified, it's in the aerial, in the air, and it's not identifiable, so it's a phenomenon. So she has this on her phone that was filmed with five witnesses. We are getting to go to that remote farm location, 
we're going to identify exactly where this was filmed, this thing you're going to see, which we're keeping for the show. So what we got there is this whole matrix of farm workers, and we've got five eyewitnesses that are going to meet us. They're all going to meet us where this film was taken, and they're going to explain to us exactly what they saw as we're investigating the site. So isn't that exciting? There's just a, a cross-section of what Colombians are bringing to the documentary, and there's more. I get to say it's Andy now, but you're on mute. <laughs> ah, you. okay, yeah, my bad. So I was on mute. Oh, I thought you meant no. I was on mute. No, 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 me, me. Oh, no, 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 Andy, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm leaving on. But <laughs> it's usually I, me. <laughs> I, I was really engrossed in that, and I never do that. Um, Ash, you you mentioned yeah. the last person there, and did you say she was a production assistant? Yeah, well, I say she's a production assistant. She's no, no. I, I, I just want to mention, as you said yeah. it, it, it froze for a very split second, and it did sound like you said abduction assistant. So oh. I just want to correct for anyone who heard that and thought, "Wow, they've got an abduction <laughs> assistant." Just given what we're talking about, no, it was it was production. So yeah, no, that's that was that was that, all it was. That would be a different kind of holiday, I think. It you was know, to Columbia get abducted. Does someone? Yeah, every, everything's just got real creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does sound really exciting. Ash, I'll give you a minute. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna chat to Vinny and Dan just to ask them, given they're hearing a lot of this as well. Uh-huh. Vinny, let's speak to yourself. You've got the nicer sounding voice. How <laughs> how are you feeling at this point? You're obviously hearing all this as well, and you know there's going to be these other people involved, and you're going out. You know you're not traveling even just across Europe. You're going to you know, South America, which is incredible. How are you feeling at this point? I mean, it's a complete mixture of excitement. It's almost overwhelming as well because. When we kind of, or when I first found out this is definitely happening, the, that initial shock, in a way, was was huge. But the closer we've we, we've been getting, I've just been, you know, emotions are flowing everywhere with excitement and possibilities, and you know, the fact that we're actually going to be doing boots on the ground work around the UFO subject, and it's, you know, that to me is the the step that I'd always dreamed of taking is being someone who could say that I've done something like that. It's so exciting. And yeah. But then, you know, obviously the traveling part, I mean, I'm not the best flyer. I don't really like flying. So, but now I've got Dan to, Dan can, uh, we can hold hands on the plane. And (laughs) I I also hate flying. So uh, this is going to be fun. (laughs) Especially given we're talking about, you know, potentially unidentified flying objects and the two of you are traveling all the way out there to, to have a look at what these may or may not be. Are either of you again, Dan or Vinny, like, do you have any expectations of of going out there and what this is going to be or what you think is going to be happening? For me personally, I don't have any expectations. And I've got to remember, and I keep telling myself, and I have been for weeks now, that as much as I'd like this to be UFOs, I've I've got it really clear in my head that, you know, there's such a good chance that it is a prosaic or natural phenomenon. And now at this point i'll just be glad if we actually get to the bottom of what it is whether it's prosaic or not we can just tick it off the list and and move on to something else but we know that the experience in itself is going to be epic so i have no expectations so yeah i'm at a good point now mentally for this as well dan Uh, i mean i i agree with a lot of that my i i don't i think of it in the same way as i i think of something like hestalen you know, or even even more broadly, the Northern Lights. When when I went to see those, you know, you had a forecast and they said, oh, you know, it's definitely going to happen. But once I got there, I learned that the word definitely was a, a coin toss anyway. So you kind of, you, you learn to temper those expectations, you know, they, this could be absolutely incredible. Um, and I think it will be whether we find something on the mountain or not. But like Vinny said, the value is in getting boots on the ground and finding out whether it's something strange or whether it's something prosaic. And either one of those is is a valuable step to take. Ashley, now, the, the itinerary for these gentlemen, um, they fly out on the 6th of February, I think Dan was, was saying before. When they when they land, what does their time in Colombia look like? Am I right in saying, is it 10 days, just under, just over? Mm-hmm. So I've got them in here for arriving sometime on Monday the 7th. So... They're going to take. I'm going to take them to HQ, which is about two hours north of Bogota, in the in the hills there in the Andes. So, when they get there, 
they're never going to have been so tired in their life with the altitude. They're coming off a long-haul flight and hitting altitude. So there's two options here. No, there's three options, actually. So there's the Scotch method, which is you get wrecked on the plane and you sleep for three days, but you can't do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> the other method is to come in and go to sleep, but another good one is to you come in and you take a shot of strong Colombian coffee and you stay up for the whole of the first day you're there and go to bed at reasonable time that night. But here's the thing. We have got a day before we start on Wednesday the 8th. We've got a day lined up about five miles from HQ, we're going to be doing some metal detecting for another thing I was involved in. So we're going to be going to this. It is very cool. We've got permission and we've got a bunch of farmers who are going to do the digging. So we're going to be swinging metal detectors for, for the 8th, which is great because we're going to be right in the heart here at the Valley of the Moon. You're going to get acclimatized to the mountain and what the valley looks like because it is, you have no idea, Dan, how close to Hestalin it is. It too is eight miles long. It has two two mountains, one on either side. There's a river runs down through the middle. One mountain range is laden with iron and the other is laden with copper. There's a highly charged iron river underneath the valley. The thing could serve or act as a battery, which would take the thing right into the Stalin phenomenon zone. However, this isn't about, as you know so much about, going and trying to establish what the cause of the lights is. It's equally about understanding the emotional reaction, the judgments and the perception that, that, that is made by people who experience that phenomenon. And God willing, it's on the same week that one year ago I photographed the lights for this first time. I videoed it too. I've never actually published my own first 14-minute experience with lights. I've been putting up photographs of lights and the lights, the phenomenon, but I've never shared that first week or that first experience, but that's the week you're coming. So that's the first two days of climatization and being in the mountain. And then, of course, we're going to, we're away. We're on locations. We're up for breakfast at eight every day. We're all meeting around this enormous table. There'll be between 10 and 12, 15 people some days with the drivers and the safety guys but we're going to be filming at locations most of the first three days. And then we're having this break day where we're filming on this enormous banquet table. The whole room's going to be cameraed up. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the photographs and the videos that have accumulated locally so far. And we're going to go through any that we ourselves get in the first three days ex- um, investigation. And then another cool thing about I'm just going to add about the documentary is we've had confirmation that a judge from New York is going to be here, booked and coming. I'm not going to say too much more about that, but we are going to get to present our phenomenological evidence to a New York judge. And is there anybody that might be better served to go UEP or shite? Happy New Year's from our friends over at Manscaped. The ball has officially dropped on 2022, like a tic-tac falling from 80,000 feet. But don't drop the ball on your own grooming. It's time you brought the sexy back in 2022 and step up your game with Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped to help them bring in the new year with the right tools for the job. Go to manscaped.com and use code ANDYUFO for 20% off and free shipping it's a new year it's a new you and we hope in this new year a new ufo office will finally push us forward with the tools to crank up the heat on disclosure well the manscaped performance package 4.0 contains six essential tools for the ultimate below the waist grooming routine Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you find the Signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. The advanced skin safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate orbs. And it also comes equipped with a 4000K LED spotlight that will shine a light that puts those Phoenix lights to shame, folks. Remember, get 20% off and free shipping with the code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. I mean, that's. I mean, it. It sounds really special. You, you know, that's. It, it's beyond just a bunch of people who are into the subject getting around a table. You, you know, there's with the judge there. There's now that kind of official capacity, not necessarily in official capacity, but at least you, you know, that kind of high bar 
for for what we'll all be experiencing out there. Um, and I love what Ashley said about um, ensuring that people's experience of it is is captured too, because I'm sure we'll all have a range of emotions, you know, if we see the lights on the mounting between us all. Um, and then there's the history of the place and everything that's happened there. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of speak to everyone there and, and learn a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. And what's great for this is the, the, let's call it the circumstance or the conditions of the documentary we're making. Like most documentaries are filmed in studios with really dramatic black light and lots of black clothes. Our entire location and scape is within the heart of a real life phenomenon that's seen a lot. Now, here's the thing. What's really cool about this is we're not going to have a week where we're going, fingers crossed, I hope something happens. What's the chances? Well, quite high here because, as I've said, we've got two airports within the vicinity. We've got the head police station six miles over behind this mountain on another mountain. There's stuff in the sky every night. What our job and objective is to do is go, what are people seeing that's leading them down the rabbit hole? And what are people seeing that are that is potentially unexplained? And that's when you open up the packet with everything from UFOs to the Hestalon phenomenon. We're going to deep dive that packet, but it's everywhere. It's right around us. It's incredible. I'm so delighted the pair of you are coming. I can't even tell you. Ashley, what do you think is going to surprise Vinny and Dan most about the experience? Maybe something that they, they won't be expecting. You've talked about, obviously, the, the jet lag and the acclimatisation, but about the whole production and experience. That's a really one, the hard one now. What would they not be expecting? I think it's going to be their own reaction to seeing possibly a hiker at the top of the mountain for the first time. Like, here we go. Five days ago, we saw just that. Saw a hiker at the top. But it was 1.15 in the morning. What was a hiker doing at near zero at the top of that hill, which isn't safe to be on, but it's another level of the mystery we're going to discuss. So what you do is you see these things, and it's bizarre because what you are doing is for the first time witnessing something. And what's exciting is, Vinny, you've said you've not actually witnessed a UAP. You're going to witness UAP and they are UAP until maybe the next morning when we sit down and go, well, hang on, look. Venus was there rocking its light just as it was going behind the mountain. And it's quite incredible what the stars do. You look out there and there's nothing. It's black. And then all of a sudden, the moon changes, the clouds come away from the moon, and then maybe the moon's low setting, and you look up, and there is what appears to be lights at the top of the hill. So you have to discern what is natural phenomenon and what is something else. Now, remember, this was first reported in 1608 in the church, Tabio record, Tabio church records, and the hill itself was baptized as the hill of the dancing lights 400 years ago. So those weren't modern torches, hikers, you know, there's something going on at this hill and that's what we've got to explore. Where other shows are questioning whether something exists or it doesn't, we really kind of are starting beyond that question. As you say, it's a higher bar because what we're doing is exploring what is this. And I've got 72 photographs of my own and locally that have been published in the press and the media for us to go through, for us to tear apart, to question to figure out where they were on maps and then go to those places as a team. So it's real life stuff. It's not lots of studio stuff with intense chat talking about what ifs. It's going to be, what on earth are we going to do with all this? And I think you'll be most surprised at how you will react. It's quite a holistic thing when you see a light flashing up there. It really is. I don't want to talk too much about how I felt personally because each will respond differently to it. And while you're turning a whisper in my ear going, eh, it's obviously the hikers we saw earlier on, someone else might be there texting their buddy because they know they just saw the first UFO, like happens here regularly. Back to, I'll, I'll, um, back to Angelo, the keeper, who's got a whole system on how these things communicate. So yeah, how you will react to a light phenomenon is going to be the most interesting part for me and that I don't think they'll expect how much do you plan on filming? Is it going to be constant when you're walking to locations mm. or driving to locations? Is it going to be like hand cams, steady cams, drone cams, or is it a case of we're going to travel, we set up and we film and we film? 
-hmm. we're going to be it's a it's kind of everything you've just a bit of everything you've just said but because what the trouble is is data storage okay if you're a tv company you've got endless data storage we have to be selective on what we film so we're not putting in four hours of 4k film into our hard drive because then when you come to edit that it's also a much slower longer process so we will be there'll be um gopros in our general working environments with it within the house on the the conversation days which we have into sort of two or three block days but when we're traveling, there'll be no needless jeeps going up the side of hills and all that stuff. We don't need to go for pack. We've got such little time to tell to offer so much data that we're going to be struggling for space. So we will be filming everything that the that we're talking about at the investigation sites. I'll be doing lots of filmmaker stuff, like ask, especially like asking people how they feel a lot. But especially when they're really buggered at the top of a hill, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> I don't care if they're sitting having a coffee and having you enjoying everything. It's when they're perplexed and tired or hungry that I'll be swinging in and asking a few questions. So I've got some. What what are the the things got to be because it's about phenomenology, the approach to how we react to phenomenon, rather than figuring out what the chemical origins or the otherworldly origins of the lights are. It's going to be relaxed, you know. We're not in a hurry to, 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 to try and tell a predetermined narrative. It's filming what happens when things happen, but also what Dan and Vinny are going to look like out of their box. It's really easy. No, hang on, not really easy. Let me start the sentence another way. It's comparatively easy holding your train of thought when you're on a podcast. You've got control of your environment. All sorts of stuff's going to happen here that's unexpected in the weirdest of places. So it's going to be interesting to film everybody when shit hits the fan. Not in horrible ways, but just in the things that happen when you're really high in mountains. Things don't go according to plan all the time. And those are the best moments. The human story that comes from the investigation. We're not, yeah. there's selected places. But I should say as well, we have, maybe you want to keep this for the end, but We've got like one place left on the public participant side and we're still getting inquiries from people. So I should say, if there's anybody listening to this, it's not too late, even though it's a couple of weeks to go. You know, we're still looking for another hero for all this. We did have one of the listeners ask, um, it was uh, Peter just asking if he could sneak away in Dan's suitcase. Um, so I, I don't know if that's an option necessarily, getting through customs for you, Dan, but you did have that one request. I mean, I feel like it's it's definitely frowned upon, if not illegal, to smuggle people in your suitcase. No, but, so. you can you can do that easily. You can smuggle anything into Colombia. <laughs> that's a fact. Nothing Is it just getting them back out again? Is that the issue? <laughs> They're good at that. Well, I, well, I was going to ask about getting some coffee brought back for me, but I don't yeah. even know how easy that would be. So that that would be nice. Oh, we we've actually already discussed coffee, and uh, yeah, I'll. I'll I'm going to leave some room in my case to bring some back. <clears throat> I should say no, for for, ob for obvious reasons, it's actually quite funny. When you take coffee, you can take 10, 20, 30 packs. It's a really high restriction. However, you've, they've got to be coffee beans. You cannot have bags of powder in your suitcase for obvious reasons. They're going to yeah. open it. So as long as they're beans, you're good. More than happy with bean to cup. I've got my setup at home. People will know I'm a, I'm a coffee fiend. But that was Peter who was asking about uh, getting stored away. I want to ask a few questions that some of the listeners have got in touch about. Um, Monty had asked, um, can Monty ask that if something truly anomalous is seen during the trip, fingers crossed, mm -hmm. are there any protocols put in place that you've collectively agreed upon to communicate that out? That's like part of the very first morning's filming when my set, when Natalia, my wife, introduces the whole production and everybody tells them the basics, like, never have your telephone on, please. And if somebody's speaking, try not to speak over them, but we're not going to try and hinge things in too much. But once she's done that, I'm going to be introducing a lot of local cases and, um, and the protocol for the week. But here's the thing is, I keep saying it's got to be organic, is when, if, when something happens... I myself will have a way that I'm going to film that with Natty. Natty and I will have a filming protocol for this. What won't happen is the guys won't be told by us what to do if something happens. I need that to be phenomenological. I need that to be really raw. 
and look at what he did and look what he did. She started shaking when he was just having none of it. So there won't be protocols for the guys, but there will be for what we do, filming it. And let me ask on that. So you mentioned that there won't be like directions for Vinny, can you react this way or Dan, can you do this? Now we we heard that in the production like, don't, and don't I don't run get... towards the line. Yeah, but like Skinwalker Ranch is yeah. a, a big budget production, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've spoken to to most of the most of the cast too. Mm-hmm. And even like we, when we spoke to Brandon Fugel and Thomas Winterton, we mentioned that some of the things that happen can cause issues with the equipment, so they have no choice but to film it again when it's not happening naturally, because that's the only way they can capture it for TV. Is there going to be any circumstances like that you would look to? You're not falsifying a reaction, but that you would have to film again? Or do you think you would just choose to, if it doesn't happen on camera and it's not natural, it, it gets left out? No, you're never gonna, I'm never going to have to. I've never done that. I don't need to. As I say, we're not, we don't have, we're not answerable to, this is an independent project. You know, we've just launched our phenomenology patching account. We're not we're not having to support Jeep as a sponsor and heavy commitments to advertisers, so we don't need the same level of drama. I truly aim to produce maybe long form content with people discussing things through. So we're sort of doing on screen what everybody's or your audiences are doing at home. They're thinking these things through. When you hear someone vocalizing something, you can get oh, I think a bit like that, but no, not like... So I want to try to make it interactive as possible. And if that means that sometimes there's long pauses or silences where we're just filming the way that Dan is talking to the housekeeper, we'll do that if there's purpose and reason that it drives our story. We certainly won't be going for booms and swishes and getting drones up to try and recreate what was seen and all that kind of thing. No, that's no. good to hear. I want to ask a question uh, to, to Dan and Vinny, then I'll come back to yourself, Ash, as well. This is from no Dave. Um, so Dave asked, um, what is the team's best guess as to what the Hestalan lights are? Um, has the phenomenon informed your research, investigative strategy, or opinion on, on this particular trip? We'll kick off with Dan, because I know you're quite partial to, to this, this subject. Yeah, I mean, first things first, we should emphasise those three magic words, I don't know. Like, we have to say that whatever I say next is conjecture and is based on my own ideas. We just don't know. That study was done, you know, 85 onwards. It had some really, really great um, long-term results. Um, Vinny had, uh, remind me of the gentleman's name. Erling Strand. That's it, Erling Strand, uh, who conducted the study on his channel to talk about that, which is a great interview. I'd recommend people go uh, watch that. But... Now to step into the speculation zone, just to be clear, um, I, I think that the research around EVO and ball lightning and things like that are very, very interesting. It seems that there's a lot of different names for similar phenomena. It seems that these might be caused by piezoelectric effects in you know the geography of the place, but there are also some weird facts that you know these things don't occur along the san andreas fault for example you know if it was earthquake lights this is kind of the areas that you'd expect to see them um so it seems to be a mix um and i was very kind of taken away with what ashley said about um the the gentleman who said that it is a mix you know there's this natural phenomena but there's also these chips communicating with light and and i've always wondered if perhaps there's there's a natural phenomena that's being utilized to power these UAP. That's where I would go with my speculation. Interesting. And Vinny, what about yourself? Yeah, kind of along the same sort of lines as what Dan just said. But when I spoke to Erlin Strand and he gave this wonderful presentation during our interview that showed all these lights that really do bear resemblance to similar yeah. things that Ashley has, has put um online as well on social media but then erling was also um, giving these stories of lots of witnesses in the areas over the years who have witnessed ufos solid objects with some stories and and drawings of what these people witnessed so it is it's two different things so that mirrors what dan just said that mirrors what angelo it is angelo right the groundskeeper Angelo, yeah, he's the guy that's got this and he's one of as you say many that's in the valley here that's got that yeah yeah, so it seems to be that both cases seem to have two possible, like big things that it could be. So that's why I said earlier that I'm going out with a with a very open mind and not 
trying to pinpoint one or the other until we've seen something and done some analysis or some investigating. Uh-huh. And Ashley, you <laughs> mentioned the striking similarities and even the, the distance and the, the uh-huh. area which the Hestalen lights are, are seen as, as to the lights that you're going to be investigating up close and personal. Have you got any ideas yourself as to what Hestalen may be? And I'm aware at this point I might ask some things that you're wanting uh-huh. to keep for the production itself anyway, but what are you... There's obviously what you hope, but is there is there a what you expect? I will remain the only, the, the probably the only person that you've had in your show that never says behind an NDA, dude. Can't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> we, I've been personally fascinated with this Stalin form um, phenomenon since the beginning. That was really what, one of the things that turned me on, and the reason was because Professor Strang always he's from from the University of Oslo, so he always made it safe. You know, it was a safe access route to a really interesting, unexplained plasma phenomenon that does have, as Vinny said, they've got three photographs and, and they're filed in the uni as the black objects. We have that here too, the objectos negras. These are the black disks and they have been reported above the airport. These are the classic UFO um, reports above this mountain. So... It's it's a very, very same phenomenon that's going on here that goes on in Hestalen. But, you know, there's one of the benefits that's going on here is Hestalen's exceptionally remote and hostile. So they have scientific equipment that's up there trying to track those lights. I live on the base of this phenomenon and I've seen it myself now on 19 occasions in a year. I'm going to have other people watch it with me. So this... This is something that you can interact with. It's like Hestalen 3D. That's it. And a follow-up to that from Dave, Ashley, and I'll ask this one to yourself. Again, maybe touches on potential aspects of things that might be included in production. Does the local folklore, historical record, or other photographic or video evidence suggest some explanations for the lights are more likely than others? Yeah, we've got a, a list of the most prominent and the most preferred interpretations, which only recently in the last, since 1969, that was the first major, what you call a UFO abduction case that involved lots of people. And that was the first major UFO report at the mountain. But before that, they were always interpreted as the spirits of saints. For since 1608, they were reported as the spirits of the saints that came out to protect the village. Now, prior to that, the Moiska, the indigenous cultures, believed that they were called the this Lucis Brigantes, the brilliant lights, or the, the souls of travelling dead shaman who were travelling from this world to the next. So they had a spiritual interpretation all the way up to this modern UFO interpretation. However, I should say this, which is really cool, a lot of the farmers who believe it's, um, they don't actually say whether it's a UFO or not. Listen to this. This is, it was actually tempted to use this as the name of the show. Historically, for at least 200 years, I'll show you the reports and the books when you get here. I've got them all ready for us. The, the, the phenomenon was called the charm. Imagine, they called it the charm. So we have loads and loads of reports of farmers who say this. They all say the charm emits from the Cerro Mahoy, one mountain, and it crosses the valley like a golden star, stopping above the farms and finishing at Waika. They all report the charm glowing like a golden ball, stopping and making its way between the two mountains. If you're not interested in that, you've not got a heart. No, it, it does sound... Uh... It sounds amazing, and again, it's something that it would have been amazing to be there. But with with Dan mm-hmm. and Vinny being out there representing uh, the the UK, I think, and and the larger community that have helped to get get Dan there as well and support those guys, it's it's great. And I'll I look forward to the finished product. I don't have too much to follow up on on that. I want to give you gents a chance at the end to to add anything before we've what we've got left of our limited time. So um, over to you, gents. Um, can can I just add the the on the seventh which is yet the day will arrive um michigan university launched their uh, online free course uh about uap so i'd recommend everyone jump on sign up for it it's free 
it's kind of one of the only qualifications you can do for UAP. So get your certificate because, you, you know, it's probably about two hours work. So that, that's a fairly easy net to pass. <laughs> so, yeah, go sign up. Nice. Vinny, anything you want to add yourself, man? I think um, if anybody does want to kind of follow us along on the journey, I will be doing sort of Instagram lives and stuff, not giving away much of what we're doing with what we're recording because I don't want to give away any or spoil any of the production, but it'll be more just to see how we're coping, how we're getting on, just to see our faces in a different place and, you know, just keeping touching base with people that, you know, regularly see us doing these like lives and stuff, but just from this beautiful location. So, yeah, I have to say, you know, people come and follow me on Instagram and, and we'll be doing that. Obviously, Dan's going to do the same. So follow Dan as well and Anna Ash. So come and follow us all there. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll see a whole bunch. Um, I'll be filming just for kind of a podcast episode. So we'll do a nice visual one about the, the trip when we get back. Um, so yeah, there'll, there'll be a whole bunch of cool content to come out of it. Yeah. And Ash, you, you also mentioned there is one place still up for grabs and I'm, I'm going to yeah. do my best to get this out. Uh, just after we record this, I've got another interview and then straight after that, I'm going to get this out as quickly as possible. So um, how could people get involved if they still want to fill that space? It's really simple. You can go to History Fuzz, my web platform, and Phenomenology. It's going to be really obvious when you get there. But what I'm going to advise people to do is go to the Phenomenology Patreon account, Patreon forward slash Phenomenology, because if you take, if you sponsor the show there with one of the tiers, you can get access to discounts on the trip to Colombia. So Patreon Phenomenology, HistoryFuzz.com Phenomenology. And throughout the next coming months, I think we'll all be using the hashtag Phenomenology. So if people follow that, they're going to be keeping abreast of what we're doing. And I'll make sure all those links that Ash has mentioned are in the description of the podcast. They're already in the part one and part two of the interviews as well. So you can get them in any of those locations. Gents, uh, again, I've got a limited time. I've got another interview straight after this as well. So I can only wish you the best on your trip. Safe travels. Ash, look after them when they're there. Don't let them have too much fun. Um, <laughs> and yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to to hearing about the production but also seeing the, the finished article itself and of course getting ash you back on to discuss yeah. that uh, when, when you're ready and the time's right so have you got an idea at this point obviously you've got a good a good solid 10 days but then then the hard work probably starts afterwards getting it all put together when you hope to have this released i want i want to launch it on the first of may first of may that's I ambitious it is, but what's good about it is we're going to be doing it in short form packets, you know, maybe 12 to 18 minute episodes, episode a week, so we can sustain this. So it's something people yeah. can support and it keeps going. And then just as season one comes to an end after maybe two or three months, season two would come after. But yeah, it's going to be first to me. That's my goal. I don't want to sit in it till it's out. Yeah, it's got to be fresh. I want it to be yeah. the same people that filmed it that are on there, not a year and a half older, you know. No, that's great. And we'll, we'll be sure to talk about Star Wars in the first episode, just so you can pick up on all that SEO traffic from May 4th be with you, you know? <laughs> I've, just, I've just changed my publishing date. I meant to say May the 4th. Nice one, Dan. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm actually I'm actually blown away, and you've done Dan a disservice because you're planning on turning around a full production on video 4k in a couple of weeks essentially and uh, if i asked dan to draw me a logo today it might be done by early may so that's that's an incredible uh incredible turnaround but like i say I'm, I'm really excited to see the the finished product and again when the time's right how folks can can get involved with that as well uh, and watch it so yeah that, awesome that, that guy's head's got less free bandwidth than zencaster <laughs> <laughs> and there's a nice little promo for Zencaster for free right at the end there. there you go thank you very much guys pleasure talking with you all uh, look forward to speaking again soon thank you cheers thanks Andy that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, UAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see.
event comes once a year and could change how you see the world around you. The answer? When your vision benefits renew. And now that they have, there's no better time to visit your neighborhood Pearl Vision, where they'll cover your out-of-pocket cost or insurance copay for your eye exam. Schedule your family's eye exams at pearlvision.com. Valid prescription required. Valid at participating locations. Restrictions apply. Taxes extra. See store for details. Ends 4-30-2022. Exams available at the Independent Doctors of Optometry at or next to Pearl Vision. Some doctors employed by Pearl Vision.